Hello and welcome to First Prez OC Podcast. My name is Gabe Perez. I'm the youth pastor here at First Prez OC. And we are currently in week four of our origin series, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, specifically in the book of Mark. Uh, we are going to be exploring uh, concepts about fasting, um, the Sabbath, a little bit of Old Testament law, and kind of looking at how Jesus uh, changes us in more ways than one, um, and kind of uses different analogies to uh, highlight that. So, hope you enjoy. Uh, I believe this is our last week that we had our worship songs for this week, and so next week is going to be some different ones we start playing. But that being said, um, sit back, enjoy, and be blessed as we join together for worship. Father God, we just thank you so much for the time we have tonight. Lord, we thank you for flexible schedules and flexible nights. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, bless this evening, help us to focus our hearts and our minds on you, uh, and let's, let us not um, distract each other and be distracted by our, um, our own thoughts, uh, that we would just bring all that we have before you um, and not hold anything back and worship and be open and receiving and receptive to um, what you have during this lesson for us. If you mind, we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
we're just so so grateful to sing out your name. It's your name, your name that cuts through the fear, the, the lies of the enemy, the lies that we tell ourselves, the, the hurt and the pain and the brokenness that we see in the world. Jesus, your name cuts through it all. The enemy fears when we cry out your name, when we shout it from the rooftops because that name is strength, that name is power, and that name is victory, and that name is Jesus. And we're so grateful to sing it out to you, to proclaim it in this place. As your family gathered here tonight, Lord, we worship you. We ask that you be pleased with our worship, Lord. It's not perfect, but it's what we give to you. And that's all you ask, Lord, is a, it's a willing heart. And we give everything to you, perfect or not. We love you, and we ask that you would just move and speak and bless us with your Holy Spirit, filling us and speaking to us in this evening, Lord. In your mind, let me pray. Amen. 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 Nope, Mark 2. That's it. No, we're all good. All right, so real quick, how many of you guys could tell me, like, just raise your hand, just, you don't have to shout out answers, but how many on the top of your head could tell me what fasting is and what it's for? What it is and what it's for. You could tell me on the top of your head, just by a show of hands. Okay, so we got... Five, six of you guys, all right, so less than half the group, all right. Um, all right, so how many have heard of fasting before? Show your hands. So most of you guys, all right. So can you got how many have never even heard of it at all? Nobody? Pretty much everybody's either, either heard of it or kind of knows what it is, all right. So now what about um, the Sabbath? So raise your hand if you could tell me what the Sabbath is and what it's for. Somebody raise a hand. Well, a lot less people, okay. So who's heard of the Sabbath? Who's literally never heard of the Sabbath before? There you go. So we got some people in all, in all groups there, all right? Um, but today we are actually going to be learning a lot more about fasting and the Sabbath, um, kind of what their significance actually is as we're kind of going through our origin series, looking at the life of Jesus. And that's kind of where we're going to get rolling is in uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 18. But... Real quick, for last week, for those of you guys that weren't here, um, we talked about how Jesus came to actually save sinners. So we talked about, Jesus says, I have come to call sinners, not the righteous. I have come to save, it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. And so Jesus pointed out that he has come for sinners, which is a.k.a. everybody. Nobody's perfect, nobody has lived a perfect life, and no one is sinless. Everybody falls short. And so Jesus is pointing out that everybody is in need of him everybody is in need of his spiritual doctoring right <laughs> jesus has come to actually be the one who makes us better and take away our sin that's what he came to do all right um and the thing is we also talked about reaching out into other people and other environments and being able to be confident and bold enough in our faith to be able to live out our faith amongst others that we shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus. And if you guys are here, you guys shouldn't be ashamed that you come to youth group. And we should be able to relate and go into environments that aren't necessarily um, Jesus-friendly because Jesus still loves those people as well. And we should love people that don't even love us because that's exactly what Christ called us to do, and that's exactly what Jesus was doing. He went into an environment full of sinners, people that, people, that other people viewed as bad. Jesus went into that environment and actually went in to share the gospel and to love on those people, to get to know them. Nope. Um, so um, that's 
what we talked about last week, and that's kind of what we're moving on into, was kind of like that little brief point. So that leads us into Mark chapter 2, verse 18, all right? So I'm just going to start reading. So it says, Now John's disciples and Pharisees were fasting. Some people came to Jesus and asked, How is it that John's disciples um, and, the, and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece of cloth will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. All right. So it's a little bit kind of like complicated. Jesus adds in a little bit of extra thing at the end that kind of throws it off a little bit. But we're going to get into all that. So when I'm talking about fasting, let's go back to the beginning of that passage. Um, I want you guys to understand like what it's for and what it is. And it's brought up a lot. And you guys have even talked in the past about wanting to understand what fasting is and kind of diving a little bit more into that. And this passage gives a little bit of insight directly from Jesus himself about really the purpose and the meaning of fasting and kind of the, the reason behind it. So for, those of you, so for those of you that do not already know, fasting is actually just depriving yourself of food and or drink for a specific certain amount of time, all right? It is, it's, so some people can say, I'm going to fast from social media or I'm going to fast from hanging out with my friends or fast from this, but really fasting in the actual biblical sense of what fasting actually is, is a physical depriving yourself of food and or water. It is a physical thing, like an actual need in your body that you're taking away intentionally. And the reason behind all of that, the reason you're depriving yourself of food um, for a time and all that stuff um, is because fasting is meant to draw us closer to God. Fasting is meant to draw us closer to God, right? As we hunger or we get tired from our lack of food or lack of drink, then we are in that moment. It's, it's designed to be able to turn us towards God in prayer. Whenever we feel hungry, whenever we're fasting, we're meant to go to God. We're meant to say, God, I'm feeling hungry. Like, man, I want some food right now. But instead of just giving in to your physical desires, you go to God with your spiritual desires. It helps to discipline our own mind, body, soul, and spirit to be able to focus on God and to value God even above our own physical needs. Now, it's not to say you should just go and let yourself starve to death because God doesn't say be irresponsible, but especially in Bible times and in the Old Testament a lot, fasting was a very regular practice that people did, and it was meant to draw yourself closer to God, to focus and to remember to be praying, to be able to... Um, kind of remove the distractions of your physical desires and your physical body so that way you could focus more on God and focus more on your spiritual needs and not your physical needs. So the Pharisees were basically like, hey, dude, you and your boys are out here grubbing and everybody else isn't, so what the heck's up with that? And Jesus really kind of points out that they don't need to draw closer to God because God is actually already with them. He's pointing out to the Pharisees, I am God. I am with them. They don't need to fast because I'm right here. I am God in the flesh, and they don't need to draw closer to me because I'm right. They can reach out and touch me. 
if they need anything, they can turn and ask me a question right now. There's no need to fast while I'm here. That's why he gives the analogy of a bride and a bridegroom. So why would somebody fast when the bridegroom is away? The main focal point of who you're trying to get close to, why would I fast whenever he's not, when he's not far away? I don't have to draw closer to him because he's already here. But then he does point out and he says, hey, eventually they're going to need to fast. Eventually there's going to be a need for them to start drawing closer to me intentionally because I am going to leave. I am going to be absent from this world eventually. So he points out that while this isn't something you need to do right now because he's already physically with them, eventually he was not going to be. And he points out and highlights the fact that fasting actually draws us closer to God. All right? So, um, and then he also kind of highlights not only that he is God, but he also is coming to change the old way of how things are done. So that's kind of this analogy of the old wine and the uh, old wine and new wine skins and the old, you know. So if you guys don't understand, they used to store wine in a wine skin. So essentially, it was like a leather bag, right? So it was kind of dried out, but they would put new wine in this, and they would just leave it in there. They would just kind of keep it in there. But as the wine stayed in there, it would ferment more. It would, I mean, you know, like a good wine keeps on aging, like a age like a fine bottle of wine. But essentially, instead of it being like a glass bottle that doesn't expand in a leather pouch, it will. It will like as it ferments, it will start growing and stretching. But eventually, it'll get used to that. That wine's not going to expand anymore. It's going to be where, it, where it's going to come to full maturity, right? And so that's why they said if you put new wine into a new wineskin, it's going to stretch with it. But an old wineskin, if you fill that thing up with new wine, it's already stretched out to its max of what it's going to be. It's already reached its limit of its life. And so Jesus is pointing out that, hey, I'm, I'm not doing, going to be doing the same old – I'm not going to put something new into the old system. He's pointing out what you guys have been doing and how you guys are used to doing things is the old wineskin. It's, it's the old way of doing things, and I'm not going to put something new into the old way of doing things. He's pointing out in a small way that things are going to be changing. Not only the people around him, but also the way that they interact and draw close to God. He's going to start bringing about a change. And they don't really fully understand what that change is or when it's going to happen or how. But he's pointing out in a small analogy that things aren't going to be always the same. And he's gonna, people, when we come into relationship with God, are not going to be the same as they were before as well. So, moving on to the rest of the teaching, um, we're going to read through a bigger portion, but it's also related. And it's also going to go through the end of chapter 2 into chapter 3, all right? So don't get all like, oh, oh why is it going to the next chapter? Because um, just a little sidebar, we like to think of our Bibles as like, hey, this chapter is fit into this chapter, and that chapter is for that chapter, and they're not related. But that's not how the Bible is actually written. The Bible, books in the Bible were cohesive, one single letter, and it was all to be read at one go. So we like to say, oh, this segues into that, and that's not really connected directly. But the writers of the Bible made it so that way you could just read straight through a that's book. So just kind of keep that in your mind as we're reading from chapter to chapter. Throughout the series, we're going to be doing that in different little ways. So Mark 2.23, all right? So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He said, Have you ever read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated, or, uh, yeah, consecrated bread, 
which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, What is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent. They looked, uh, he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. All right, so let's jump into this whole Sabbath thing, all right? So that was a really big, long passage, but all of the big deal of what's happening is revolving around what's happening on the Sabbath. So let's kind of understand what the Sabbath is and why that actually makes a big difference, okay? So when we understand kind of what the Sabbath actually is, it, it becomes a, a little bit of a complicated thing to figure out how this is actually you know, happening and what actually Jesus, what they think Jesus is doing wrong with is not. Um, but the Sabbath actually goes all the way back to creation itself to the first days of God creating the earth, right? So it actually says in Genesis, one, or Genesis 2, 1 through 3, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had, has been doing. On the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. All right? So... That specific word that says that line, blessed the seventh day and made it holy, is actually where the Sabbath comes from. So God finishes creating everything, and there's different debates on how and how long that took and all that jazz. We're not going to get into all that. At the end of the day, God created stuff, and I'm like, all right, cool. But the one that took a million years, seven days, that's all up to you and your own theology to believe. But ultimately, God created it, all right? And during this time, on the final day, the time period that God is looking at the seventh time period that he had. He established that last day to rest, to sit back. And that, that word Sabbath, it, it, does, it literally means to like sit, to like sit back and to appreciate. And so when you understand the word Sabbath and what it means, he actually gave a command to his people that the Sabbath should be holy and that they should not work on that day. So look like at the Old Testament, Israelites, they were God's chosen people, and he commanded them, hey, the Sabbath is to be holy. And it was a really, really, really big deal. The Sabbath was not to be messed with. And the Sabbath was something that the Jews kept really, really close to. And they wanted to focus on it as much as they could. Um, and it was a, really a big deal that you should not work. And to an extent that it kind of got a little crazy. So, And it even got, God even declared that it was under the penalty of death that you should not work on the Sabbath. So Old Testament times, it was very serious not to work. So let's look at Exodus 31. It's just on the screen. You'll have to turn there. It says, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for generations to come, so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. 
Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. All right. So obviously, sounds like a pretty big deal, right? So, and you got to understand in the Old Testament, God dealt with sin very differently. He made it very clear to the Israelites. And he, that's why like all God's commandments and everything, we'll explore this a little bit later. But sin and disobeying God, especially like in the early days, like Exodus and Genesis and all those other things, he took it very, very seriously. He didn't let anything slide because the Bible talks about the penalty for sin is death. And so when he gave them a command and they were his people, he told them, do not do this because this is a, dis- a disobeying me. And that is a sin when you disobey me. And I let a bunch of other things slide, but this command I give you directly, honor the Sabbath. And when you don't do that, it was a really, really, really big deal. So, um, and the fact that, and obviously it says no work is to be done. And it was a really big no-no for the Israelites to work at all. To the point where, like, some people, they wouldn't even, like, lift a cup. And we'll get a little bit more, like, it, they took it, like, very, very seriously. But it's also important to understand that the Sabbath was meant for rest and reflection on God. All right? So from the beginning of the time, the beginning of time with God creating the world, he established the Sabbath as holy, set apart. It's, it's a, a sacred day. And whatever timeline he did that in, that's you know up to you guys. But it is a day to take time to stop, to not do anything else, but to reflect and rest to reflect on God and all that he's done and to rest from the work that you've done. Now, obviously, no one's killing anybody over the Sabbath today. That's a whole different thing. And, and <laughs> it's just a thing. But we actually celebrate the Sabbath in our time as well. Does anybody know when the Sabbath is celebrated? Sunday. I, heard, I saw Hannah's hand first. Going to church every Sunday? Sundays, yes. Yeah. So... Sundays is actually our Sabbath day as Christians, right? So originally in the Jewish tradition, they had Sunday to Saturday, and Saturday was the seventh day. And so they actually, Jewish people, celebrate the Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. So it is a 24-hour period, sundown to sundown. But whenever Jesus rose again from the dead, the Christians at the time that were following Christ, they, they were Jewish believers, and they realized Jesus rose from the dead. Holy cow. So instead of having the Sabbath on a Saturday, they moved the Sabbath to Sunday to honor Christ's resurrection. So that's a little bit of church history for you there. But that's why we celebrate the Sabbath on Sunday. And Sabbath, for us, is meant to be a day of coming together, stopping everything else, and reflecting on God. And that's exactly why we have services on Sunday, because it is our Sabbath day. When we honor the Sabbath is when we come to church and we gather together and we reflect on God and we hear a message that God has given us so we can actually learn from him, all right? So if the Sabbath is so important then, so if you look at, you know, the Sabbath is such a big deal and God was literally, and this is, they're going off the Old Testament laws, by the way. When Jesus is around, they're going by Old Testament. So if the Sabbath was such a big deal, why did Jesus and his disciples gather grain out of the field? Why, why is that okay? How is this not breaking the law? It's interesting because whenever they're looking at that, um, if we look a little bit deeper, it, uh, you have to look about like an inch deep and you see it's not as simple as, oh, they are breaking the law. Jesus was in the wrong. Actually, um, if you look at 
the command itself. God said, don't work on that day. All right? So were the disciples working? No, they were just walking through the field. And also, if you look at the second thing that they did, they were walking through a field, and they grabbed grain out of a field that they were walking by. So if you understand Jewish tradition, there was a command that God gave the farmers to not plow the edges of their grain fields or their crops. So that way the poor, as they walked by, were allowed to gather grain for food. If they didn't have food, they can take grain from the field, and it was legal for people that were poor to be able to eat some grain from the edges of your field. All right. So the disciples and Jesus were literally a bunch of homeless dudes. They didn't have a house. For three years, they wandered around. And so as they're walking through a field, they gathered some grain to have some food. So they didn't break any customary laws, and they didn't break any laws of the Sabbath either. So there was nothing they did that was wrong. There was absolutely nothing they did. They were simply eating from a field. And it's not illegal for you to just eat some food if you're hungry, right? That's all they were doing. They were just getting a little bit of grain from the field. And the second incident we see about um, the man being healed on the Sabbath is a whole other thing, right? So Jesus was actually pointing out in that moment. He, lit, he gets this guy. He's got a shriveled arm. Obviously, something happened. might be like some kind of nerve disorder, or he might have some kind of skin condition or something, or some kind of muscle, muscle atrophy that happens. But either way, he's shriveled. He's injured. He's crippled in some way that no one can fix. And he says, is it legal or is it good to heal on the Sabbath or to you know, do good or to kill? He presents them with an easy question. Hey, is it, am I allowed to do something good on the Sabbath? And Jesus is pointing out to all the people that they were being extremely legalistic about how they were viewing the Sabbath and God's command. Because the Jewish leaders at the time, they would actually... Um, they were the guys, okay, so imagine, like, the Jewish leaders were like me, but there was, like, 20 of us, and you guys knew nothing. And all we would say was, hey, this is what God's command says, right? And you guys would be like, okay. Like, okay. There, would be, there would be no explanation. Right. But for the Pharisees, whenever they were walking around, Pharisees, Sadducees, and um, the scribes, as they are described, they would basically get around and look at God's word. And they would all debate about how God's word was actually to be applied, okay? So there was a simple command of don't work on the Sabbath. But then these scribes and Pharisees and all these Sadducees would all get together and they'd be like, well, what does God mean by don't work? I think God means don't work by don't do that. And that counts as work. And that counts as work. And that counts as work. And they would go through and make rules and lists and laws about work that was not to be done in very specific ways. And one of the ways in that way of not working was different ways of harvesting. And one of the ways that they specifically listed that wasn't to be done on the Sabbath was harvesting by hand. They made a very specific rule that said if you grabbed grain from the field with your hands and rubbed it together to get the grain, that was work. But the difference is, God didn't say that was wrong. The Pharisees said that was wrong. So this group of religious leaders started adding into what God's word actually said. And Jesus, in pointing out, hey, this man, is it okay to heal? Is it okay to do good on the Sabbath? Because he's doing something, right? But they viewed it as, you're doing something. You can't do work. You're not supposed to do anything. 
But Jesus is pointing out you can't be so legalistic to not even do the right thing, to do good on the Sabbath. And he heals them and makes a fool of them because he, he points out that you're not supposed to be legalistic about God's commands. Would that be working? No. Well, it might be, but he's but Jesus is also pointing out that it's not about working. It's like it's okay to do good. If you're honoring the Sabbath, it's okay to also do something good. You shouldn't be working, but also if a need arises, don't just like let somebody die on the floor, right? You're supposed to help them. You're supposed to do what is right. All right. Yes, 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 yes. So Jesus was pointing out in front of everybody and pointing out to the Pharisees that they had been so focused on how to follow God, they lost sight of why they follow God, why they do these things. So much so that they weren't sure if helping somebody else out that was in need was okay. That's what Jesus is highlighting in this point. They had lost their way. And Jesus over and over and over again was reminding them, you guys have lost your way in this way, in this way. And he points out in little ways, all right? So God gives us many different things that actually help us to draw near and focus on him. And the Sabbath and fasting, both of them, it's a day set apart for God to focus on him. Fasting deprives us of food so we can turn and focus on God. And these are two different ways, and Jesus points out clearly, and we can look at them. These are different ways that we can actually focus on God. But God doesn't give us just those two ways to be able to draw near to him, to be able to focus on him, to be able to grow our faith in him. So in different ways he does is fasting, prayer, meditation, giving, serving, the Sabbath itself, gathering together as a body, worshiping as we sing songs to him, leading others in the faith, and teaching others about God's word. It not only helps us to focus on God and more listen for his voice, but also helps others as well to be able to draw near to God. So these different ways that we can actually draw close and draw our attention to him. Because Jesus isn't interested in how you can be good or how good you can be because Jesus cares about where your heart is at. Jesus doesn't want a, hey, I did all my things on my checklist to be good today. It's not a checklist. It's not a, hey, I did all the right things that I'm supposed to be doing. If you could do all the right things, but your heart isn't for God, then that's what Jesus cares about. He wants your heart. He doesn't want a checklist of things that are good to do. And unfortunately, the Pharisees were in the list of, they were on the side of, hey, I have a list of everything God commanded me to do, and I follow this list to a T. But their hearts weren't for God. They had, under, they had focused on the how and not the why. They had lost sight of what was actually important and actually drawing near to God because all of it, all of the Old Testament laws and commandments were meant to remind people that they needed God. They were all to help us focus on Him. So, like I said throughout the series, Jesus has a mission and a goal, and that goal is to share the gospel with everybody. And, and all of that was meant to be able to bring people to a relationship with Jesus. God's intention was to forgive sins so that way we can have a relationship with Him. But that only happens when we can actually admit, when we can turn to God and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need your forgiveness. And Jesus himself actually says in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's important to recognize, guys, that just doing things for God doesn't make us a Christian. And it's also very important to know that in order to know God, it's simply having a faith in God. It's not doing enough for Him or knowing enough about the Bible or coming to church enough, but it is a reliance and a faith in Jesus. Jesus wants us to know Him not do good deeds. The amazing thing is that Jesus loves us no matter what. So all of our lives, it's not about earning God's love or being good enough for God because we can't earn God's love and we can't earn God's favor and forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to earn a relationship with God. He loves you and loves us more than we can ever possibly imagine. He already loves you. You don't have to do anything to earn or have the love of God. You already have it. God already loves you. So it's not about doing enough so that way God will actually forgive you and love you. But he wants our hearts. Jesus wants us to have a relationship with him. And not only that, he wants to forgive us of our sins and make us new. We simply need to ask forgiveness for our sins. And we're good. It's, it's a dependence and a faith in God and His forgiveness and His grace that make us have a relationship with Him. He takes away all the sins that we have done. And guess what? It's amazing because that's when He starts doing a good work in us so that we can do good works for Him. The works flow out of a relationship with him. It's not the works that begin the relationship. It's out of the relationship we have with him that leads to us having a good, deep, meaningful um, life in this world. You see, if we're concerned with only doing good things and it's like us pouring old wine or pouring new wine into an old wineskin. Like we talked about before, if you're already stretched out to what you can be, before you meet Christ. And if you think, well, I just need some Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to change who I am, but I'm just going to put more of Jesus' love and life and his commands in my life. And he's going to fill you up and it's going to swell. But guess what? Because you're an old wineskin, it's just going to burst and it's going to turn into nothing. That's why we can't just be a non-believer and live out Jesus' commandments and be fully fulfilled. If we think, I'm not going to change who I am, but I'm going to try and do the right thing for Jesus. I'm going to have some Christianity in my life, but now that you put my full faith in Him, Jesus will fill you up, but it's going to burst because you can't handle You're not meant to take on that. It's not to say you're going to have a faith initially, but you might feel good doing good things. Instead of filling up an old container with something new, Jesus says, I'm going to make you new. 
He takes the old wineskin that we were and replaces it with something new and then fills us up more with who he is so that we swell to full maturity in him. So it's not about living the same way and then just trying to fit Jesus into your life, but it's throwing out the old. Jesus coming in and making us a new creation in him. He's not interested in pouring new wine into an old vessel. Jesus is the new wine and he pours himself into the new vessel that he made us to be. When we put our faith in him, we are a new creation. So let us not be like the Pharisees and focus more on the how we do our faith. Because if you think, oh, as long as I'm doing these things, then I'm a good Christian. But we need to focus on the why. Why do I do these things? And why I do these things is out of a relationship with Jesus. He's done all this for me. He loves me so much. He loves each and every one of us so much. And for us, we should focus on drawing closer to God and not just doing the right things all the time. The good things will flow out of that relationship with Him, not the other way around. So for us tonight, I want us all to ask ourselves these two questions. Am I taking time to draw near to God? Am I actually drawing near to Him to initiate that process of things in my life? Because if you think, oh, I'm just going to live out the commands of God and just do the right thing, but you're not drawing near to God, you're going to do all of that out of your own power. It's not going to be fruitful at the end of the day. It might last for a little while, but you're going to run dry real quick. Because we can't share with others what we don't have. We can't share with the world Jesus if we don't have Jesus filling us up. And number two, am I depending on God's grace and love above all. If we're looking to our works and we're looking to what I do to be able to satisfy my relationship with God and not just realizing that God already has love and grace and forgiveness abundant for me now. It's not about doing enough. It's like God already has enough forgiveness for me. He already has enough love for me. He already has enough grace, more grace for me than I can ever imagine. Like that song talks about, his grace is an ocean. If his grace is an ocean, we'd all be sinking. Because he has grace new for us every single day. No matter how far gone we might think we are, or things you might be doing. When you go to God and ask forgiveness, he says he has grace, forgiveness for us every day. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for today. Um, I thank you for this lesson, uh, this reminder, um, Lord, that we do need to take time to draw near to you, whether that be through specific tasks and practices, um, whether that just be sitting and reading our Bible or praying more to you, whether that be coming to church and actually being a part of the body, uh, or whether that mean taking more intense steps in our faith to, to fast or, or to meditate for a while in your word. Whatever it be, Lord, I pray that you would push on our hearts whatever we need to be doing to, to draw closer to you. And Lord, that we wouldn't think that our works and anything else make us a better Christian or better in our faith. Because it's not about the works, but it's about our personal relationship with you, Jesus. It's out of that relationship and out of that time we have with you 
that we are able to grow into full maturity for you. Lord, let us honor the Sabbath. <laughs> let us not forget to meet together as a family. Lord, help us to bring all that we have to you and not be like an old wineskin trying to fit in new wine, but we would surrender all we have to you. We love you, Lord. To your mind, we pray. Amen. And there you have it, guys. That is week four of our origin series. Hope you guys enjoyed it, uh, got something from it, and are blessed by it. Have a good day.